Thank you, Rob. And if I can just add one more announcement. We have something amazing that uh, we're going to do as a church in 2014. So we're already thinking about next year, you guys. On April 2nd to April 12th, we're going to Israel. Okay? Yes. So we're going to have an Israel tour for our church, and we'd love to have you come with us. Um, it's pretty exciting. I got to go to Israel last summer for the first time. It was fantastic. Uh, my pastor, David Guzik, will be joining us on that tour. He'll be teaching, I'll be teaching, and we'll go to all those amazing sites. Uh, we'll see the, uh, the area of, of the temple, Temple Mount, and we'll see uh, where Jesus did most of his ministry up in, in uh, the Galilee region in, in northern Israel. We'll see... Um, We'll see the empty tomb. We'll see so many different things. And so we'd love for you guys to join us. Uh, again, the dates are here. We have information. You can sign up today. You can put a deposit down and, uh, and start saving toward it. And um, if you want more information, you can pick up one of these flyers. I'll, I'll just put it right out here. The trip does cost some money because of airfare and going to Israel. And it's a first world country that we're going to be staying in. But uh, the trip is $4,948. And so I know that seems like a big, a big price and a big, a big tour, but I'll tell you, it's a trip of a lifetime. And uh, we'd love to have as many people join us as possible. So um, talk with me. I'd love to kind of see how this can be a possibility for you. And so more information in the lobby about this, and we'll be uh, throughout this next year just kind of giving reminders about it. So does that sound good or what? Awesome. Fantastic. Well, I'm very excited to open God's Word with you today. So you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2 together. And you're going to really want to follow along with me this morning. So hopefully you have your Bible. If not, be looking up at the screen at the verses as we go through it, because we have some incredible truth to look at concerning the second coming of Jesus. And there's going to be some teaching today on uh, some distinct activities that will be associated with Jesus's great return. And so you're going to want to give your full attention this morning to the Word of God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit today would be your teacher, that he would encourage you to look to Jesus and to hold fast to the truth of God and to stand firm in your faith because the things that we're going to be studying today, uh, they're serious things, but they are in no way intended to shake our minds or alarm us. Quite the contrary, they're, they're intended to guard our minds and to comfort our hearts. And so today, we're going to be looking at some certain doctrines. We're going to be talking today about the rapture of the church. We're going to be talking about the great tribulation. We're going to be talking about the Antichrist. We're going to be talking about some of these things concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're doing today in your Bible, Second. Thessalonians chapter 2, here we go, leading off with verses 1 and 2. It says, Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church that he planted in his second missionary journey, the church in Thessalonica, and we've been learning about these folks. We've 
We've learned that when Paul started the church, he only spent three short weeks with them, right? He, and in those three short weeks, Paul taught them many things about Jesus and about the kingdom of God. He taught them the gospel, obviously, which is what saved these people's souls. He taught them what it means to believe upon Jesus with faith and to receive the gift of God's grace. And so the gospel would have included those events that took place in the first coming of Jesus, which is that Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He died on a cross and he was buried. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and he accomplished our salvation. Amen? Amen. And so these are the real historical events concerning the real Jesus, and whoever believes and confesses in this Jesus has eternal life and is kept by God. And so, by giving them the gospel, uh, it's clear that Paul also taught these new believers that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he, he never died again, and that he ascended back to heaven, and there Jesus is right now, seated at the right hand of God, with all control, with all power, leading us, the church here on earth, from his throne of heaven. And so you can see that Paul would have taught the Thessalonians these things. But we know that Paul also taught the Thessalonians future things concerning the Lord Jesus, things that had not yet happened and still have not yet happened. And these are the future events that Jesus himself said would happen. So we see here in verse 1 that Paul had instructed the church, and we're going to be instructed today concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. And this is talking about the second coming of Jesus that hasn't happened yet. And so Paul is referencing back to these things that he'd already told the church, and we're going to be talking about things that you already know, don't you? We've been talking a lot about the second coming of Jesus since we've been in First and Second Thessalonians. That Jesus is coming, amen? And he's coming soon. He'll come quickly. He'll come like a thief in the night. And to those who believe him are to be alert to that. That's the hope that we have in Jesus, that he is coming. And today, you can have that hope. You can have the hope of the second coming of Jesus if you believe in the first coming of Jesus. And if we believe in the first coming of Jesus, we know that he will come and he will make every wrong right. He will judge those who refuse to believe this message of truth and he'll bring salvation to those who have received it. And so today, God is granting repentance and faith to anyone who wants to know Jesus in this way. Now, did you notice here that when Paul is talking about the hope of the second coming, he, he spoke about it here in two parts. We see there in verse 1 that he says there is the coming, but then he also says there is our being gathered together with him. And there's also other references later in this text that are going to talk about things like the day of the Lord. And what we're going to see throughout our text today is that that, that first way that Paul describes the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is simply the coming, that is an all-encompassing way to speak about how Jesus is going to return to the earth. But then he also says here that there is our being gathered together again. And, and this speaks to a different 
aspect of His coming. Because you see, there's, there's the coming, but then there's, there's different aspects of it, like the gathering together of His people, and how He will judge His enemies, and how He'll establish a kingdom that will have no end. And so the Bible gives distinct prophetic details about each of these aspects of His coming. And so when Paul says that our being gathered together to Him in verse 1, I believe Paul is referring to a certain aspect of the second coming of Jesus. And that aspect is the initial part, which is the rapture of the church. That before a seven-year tribulation period, which is spoken about in books like the Old Testament prophet Daniel, or Revelation, the last book of your Bible, or Jesus even speaking about it in his discourse from the Mount of Olives, we believe and we teach that before these seven years of tribulation, that all believers of Jesus Christ will be gathered to him. Amen? And this is a comfort to us. Paul spoke about this gathering to him in this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. Let me read that. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up that's where we get the word rapture, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul had already previously taught them these things. We have already been previously taught about the rapture of the church, and this is to be a comfort and an encouragement to us. <clears throat> the rapture is meant to remind believers in Jesus that there will be a great reunion with Christ that will take place. That everyone who has believed in the promises of Jesus and have that hope, that those who died prior to His coming will be raised, and those who are alive and remain on the earth at His coming will be caught up in the clouds. And we will all together be gathered to Jesus in the air. And so every brother and sister in Christ, every saint in history will be gathered to Jesus and we will be with him always. Isn't that a great comfort? So comforting to know that. And so I'm eager for that day. Should it come today or tomorrow or, or should it come a hundred years from now? See, I, I don't know the hour of that day. And no one can know that specific information. But I've been taught by the Lord Jesus, and so have you, to always be ready. Amen? To be alert and to be awake for his appearance so that when he comes, we will be glad and we will meet with him. And so why is Paul bringing up this doctrine that he's already taught them? And, and you might even be thinking to yourself right now, man, this guy's been talking about the second coming a lot. Is this a church that's all about, you know end times and stuff like that. Yeah, we are. <laughs> because listen, friends, we will not move on from the fact that Jesus is coming and that we can never grow faint-hearted. We can never grow dull in our minds to the reality of this day that will come. And so here's the thing, though, that when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, they had become unsettled in their minds. 
They had forgotten about these great promises of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing to these afflicted believers and telling them, hey, you've been believing some teaching that I did not teach you. Now, from what we can gather from this text in verse 2, Paul says that a teaching had entered the hearts and minds of these believers, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, that is, from the apostles. And so a false spirit, an erroneous word, or a fake letter was threatening these believers with deep distress and They're trying to be faithful to endure through the pressures of being followers of Jesus, but something or someone had come in and told them something to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, from what we know about the things that were going on in Thessalonica and what we can construct from the letters that Paul wrote is it seems that some deceptive teaching had begun to spread in the church. Again, it was either by a false spirit, by an erroneous word, or by a fake letter saying that these afflicted believers had missed the coming of the Lord Jesus and are being gathered together to him and that the day of the Lord had already come, essentially saying that these believers missed the rapture of the church and that they would now need to endure through the seven-year great tribulation. So brace for impact, right? Now, why would anyone do that? Well, because there is deception in the world that we live in. There are deceptive spirits. There are deceptive words, deceptive writings. On a daily basis as Christians, we deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they're continually at work against us, are they not? But beloved, we are not those who are to be so quickly shaken or alarmed by such things. We have at least been asked not to be in verse 2. Church, you know that we're to take care that we are not shaken by deception. That's why in verse 3 it says, let no one deceive you in any way. We are not to let deception come into our minds and to rob our hearts of peace. It's why we test every spirit. It's why we weigh every word. It's why we make sure that what we are receiving into our hearts and into our minds is truth. And the Bible was given to us by God, written by the authority of the apostles and by the revelation and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we will not be deceived. We ask, I ask you, church, that you would hold fast to this truth, because it's when we hold fast to the things that we have been taught in Scripture, when we know the Bible, and we let the Bible renew our minds, and we hide the Bible's truths within our hearts, that's how you let no one deceive you in any way. So, wash, rinse, repeat. (laughs) Amen? If you do that, if you continually find yourself receiving the Word of God 
into your hearts and into your mind, you will not be shaken in mind or alarmed. You will be stable-minded, and you will be comforted because you know the truth. So, let me just ask you a simple question. Does your heart and mind feel like a wind-tossed sea? Does your heart and your mind feel like a wind-tossed sea? Let this book speak calm to it. Now, what Paul writes here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which again, he wrote by the revelation and the authority of the true Spirit of God. This is living truth. This is important doctrine for us to know. We are to know these things, and we are to anchor our hope in them. But unfortunately, so many Christians today are shaken in their minds and alarmed, probably because they have been poorly taught the Word of God or they have not been taught it at all. Not in this church. Because in this church, we're going to rightly divide the Word of God. We're going to continually come to the Word of God because that is where truth is. And so Paul is speaking to these believers, and I'm speaking to us today. And, and, and these believers were, were under pressure for their faith. They were going through the affliction and the persecution and the tribulation, whatever you want to call it, because of their faith in Jesus. And so as their pastor, Paul is going to assure them, guys, you have not missed the rapture of the church. Jesus has not come back yet. And, and, and they, were, they were not living through the great tribulation. He's telling them that the day of the Lord has not come and that the words that, that he said are in these writings. And so let me bring comfort to our hearts this morning. The church has not met the Lord in the air yet. You didn't miss the rapture, by the way, this week. Okay? The great tribulation has not begun. As crazy and wild as the world is right now, we are not in the great tribulation. And I can say that based on what we are taught in this chapter of the Bible. And so Paul will now give this church, in our church, the comfort uh, of teaching how certain people or a certain person needs to rise up and certain events needs to take place for the, for the world, for the day of the Lord to come. And, and this teaching is meant to bring comfort to our hearts today. So in verse 3, it says this, let no one deceive you in any way for that day, meaning the day of the Lord will not come unless, now pause right there. Now, let's pause because there's a lot that can be said just simply of what that is, the day of the Lord. And it's referenced all throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, many different places. But perhaps the most important thing I can say about the day of the Lord is that it's not a single 24-hour day. It speaks about a period of time when God will do what he has promised to do in the world after he takes the church out of the world. And a significant part of the day of the Lord is that a great tribulation will occur. And it would seem that the Thessalonians were being taught that they were living through that great tribulation, that the day of the Lord had come. Now, why would they be told that? Why would they be told that they're living through the great tribulation? Because the Thessalonians were enduring tribulation. They were going through hard things. They were being afflicted for their faith. They were being persecuted for their beliefs. And although it was hard and it was painful and it was very discouraging at times, Paul assured them that this was not the great tribulation that they were enduring, that the great tribulation will be of a kind of tribulation that has not yet been known by the world. 
Jesus spoke about that time in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, saying, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. If you think about what's happened since the beginning of the world, talk about like the flooding of the earth. Wait, it's worse than that? Yeah, it's worse than that. And Jesus also said to his disciples in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But Jesus is speaking about two different tribulations there. See, followers of Jesus are not promised a tribulation-free life. You know that, right? In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. But I believe that Jesus has promised believers a great tribulation-free life because the great tribulation in the day of the Lord will have its source in the wrath of God. And Paul already said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake, that is alive, or asleep, that is dead, we might live with him. Therefore, the Thessalonians could be settled in their minds, and so can we, by knowing that the day of the Lord, which is elsewhere called the day of wrath, will not come unless certain things take place in the world, which Paul is now going to describe in the rest of this chapter. And so in verses 3 through 4, we read this. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that, if he takes his seat, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, for the day of the Lord to come, certain events need to happen first. The rebellion must come first. Now, Paul doesn't go into detail about what the rebellion is because he already told the Thessalonians about these things when he was with them. Paul said that in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> Paul, we weren't there. You know, what do you mean the rebellion must come first? And who's this man of lawlessness that you're talking about? And he's like, oh, I've already told you guys about these things. You're like, well, you didn't tell us. And so there's a principle of Bible interpretation that we can use, which is simply that Scripture is used to interpret Scripture. And so when something in our Bible seems unclear, we look to what is clear. So perhaps there are more things written in other places of the Bible that can help us understand what the rebellion that comes first is and what this man of lawlessness who will be revealed is. And so let's talk about this rebellion. That word rebellion can be translated apostasy or falling away. And Paul speaks about a rebellion or, or an apostasy in his letters to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 4, Paul says, For the time is coming 
when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I pray that wouldn't be the case for any of us here. Now, now there's some debate here. There's debate about whether Paul is saying that this rebellion will happen in the church before the rapture or in the world after the rapture. And I think it can be both. Because haven't we seen in the church the love of Christ grow cold in people's hearts? Haven't we seen people who give up sound doctrine and turn to find teachers to tickle their ears? Pray it's not us. Uh, it's not going to be me. I'm going to continue to teach the Word of God. And, and yet, we also see that some Scripture indicates that a, a great rebellion comes before Jesus returns, but other Scriptures indicate that a great revival comes before Jesus returns. But both can be true, right? Because I, I take the view that as we draw nearer to Jesus' return, there will be a growing contrast between those who love God and those who hate God. It's going to become more and more polarizing as the day draws near. So there's going to be this ever-growing contrast between those who are for Christ and those who are anti-Christ. Now, Paul is saying that the day of the Lord, which includes the great tribulation, will not come unless the rebellion, the falling away, or the apostasy comes first. And notice the pronoun, the. It's the rebellion. We're not talking about the fact that you missed church last Sunday because, you know, you stayed up on New Year's Eve and you wanted to watch the Sunday football game. That's not what we're talking about. That was like a convicting laugh, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. See, Paul calls it the rebellion because it's going to be obvious. And because for this to occur, there will also need to be somebody that will be revealed. Who is the person that needs to be revealed for the day of the Lord to come? He has given two titles here, the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. Other translations call him the man of sin or the son of perdition. This person is also called in other New Testament writings and has probably become the predominant name that he's given, which is the Antichrist. And when we studied the book of 1 John, if you were with us then, we learned that there are already Antichrists in the world, that the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well because Antichrist can simply be anything that opposes itself against Jesus. It's kind of gnarly to think that anyone who doesn't love Jesus is Antichrist. Yet Paul is not referring to the idea or even the spirit of that which is Antichrist, or he's not referring to people who aren't believers. Here Paul is referring to someone who will be so Antichrist that he is called the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. He is the Antichrist. Remember that Paul had already told the Thessalonians about this man when he was with them, but in verse 4, we're given a little reminder of the sort of things that this man will do once he reveals himself to the world. Now, let me pause to comfort and encourage us as believers, us as the church, before we talk more about the Antichrist. 
If you know Jesus and you obey the gospel, you won't be here when the Antichrist is revealed. You'll be gathered together with Jesus. So Christians do not need to be shaken in mind or alarmed about the Antichrist, thinking that the Antichrist might be out there in the world and and maybe you missed his arrival on the news and and now he's going to trick you into following him. Let me tell you, the Antichrist might already be in the world today. And I do believe he will be an actual person, but he is not yet revealed. Besides, I won't even be here when he's revealed. So, so I don't go around, nor I, do I think you should, we don't go around trying to identify the Antichrist in every lawless person we see. The Antichrist will reveal himself in time and will be with the real Christ. Identifying the Antichrist is not my concern today. My concern today is for people to know the real Christ. His name is Jesus, and he loves you, and he wants to save you. So Paul wanted to settle our thinking by letting us know that when the Antichrist is revealed, he will reveal himself in this way. Verse 4, he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, I want to reiterate the next verse, verse 5, where Paul says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? (laughs) I'm like, man. Paul sounds, though, a lot like Jesus when he talks to his disciples. Jesus had a way of explaining things but kind of left us with this requirement that if we want to be his disciples, we need to look into what he says. We need to take some time, and we need to give some desire to investigate these truths and really understand them for ourselves. See, God has supplied us with his word for each person to know these things. I've said this before, it's not enough that your pastor knows about the end times. You need to know about the end times. Like when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 in the Olivet Discourse, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. (laughs) You have to ask yourself, do I understand what Jesus is talking about? See, at one point in my Christian life, I had no clue what Jesus meant when he talked about the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. But now I do. And now I know that Paul is actually talking about the same thing that Jesus talked about there here in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. That during the seven years of tribulation that the prophet Daniel spoke about which will be divided up into two parts. There will be two three-and-a-half-year segments of that seven years of tribulation. The first three-and-a-half years, the Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel. In that covenant, there will be a rebuilding of the Jewish temple and a reinstitution of sacrifice in the holy place. And then after three and a half years, the man of sin will break the covenant that he's made with the Jews, and he will demand to be worshipped. He will not allow anyone 
to worship anything else except for Him, not even so-called gods, and that the only object of worship that will be allowed to be worshiped will be the man of sin. He will take a seat in the temple of God that will be rebuilt, which again, I believe is a a literal rebuilt temple. There's no temple in Israel. I was just there last summer. There's not one there. And this will fulfill the words of Daniel the prophet, which Jesus affirmed would be the sign for counting down the last three and a half years of great tribulation, that the abomination of desolation or, or the the su- such gross, abominable, just ungodly thing that could happen will happen, which will bring desolation or destruction. That will be when the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, takes his seat in the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. But Paul already told the church these things beforehand. They already knew this. In verses 6 and 7, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So here's another situation where we sort of wish Paul would elaborate a little bit more, because although the Thessalonians knew who or what this restrainer of the man of lawlessness is, we're not explicitly told who that is in this letter. So although there's varied views about this, I'm going to tell you what I believe is the most obvious to me who, who this restrainer is. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit, particularly in regards to the work of the Holy Spirit doing His work of building the church by His great power. The Holy Spirit is powerful, more powerful than the one who will bring tribulation. And because the Holy Spirit, who has been restraining him, literally holding back with force, will be out of the way, the mystery of lawlessness, which is already at work in the world, will turn to the man of lawlessness, and it will become much worse. But because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the church, in the world, the Antichrist cannot be revealed until his appointed time, which is the time when his abomination brings desolation. Now, the Holy Spirit will still be at work in the world after the church is out of the world because it's the Holy Spirit who brings people to salvation, and there will be people who get saved during the period of the Great Tribulation. See, the Spirit's work is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Hopefully, He's doing that in your heart today because I'll tell you what, you don't want to wait till the Great Tribulation. So while the mystery of lawlessness is already revealed which just means that sin is growing more and more rampant in this world. And as the Holy Spirit is convicting this world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, reviving people to know the truth, the man of lawlessness cannot and will not be revealed until the Holy Spirit and the church are out of the way, until we're raptured. But what will that be like when the restrainer is gone? Paul tells us in verses 8 through 12. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. 
The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the Antichrist at a certain time will be revealed. And I love that Paul takes special note to let us know that the Lord Jesus himself will kill him. He will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Who can stand before the Lord when that day comes? When Jesus comes, he will come for his church. And then he will come back with his church. And he will come riding on a white horse. And he will have a sword coming out of his mouth. And he will seize and he will cast every wicked and evil thing into the lake of fire. Just by his breath and by the appearance of himself, he will bring his enemies to nothing. I am so very glad to call Jesus my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. Because you do not want to be an enemy of the gospel, therefore an enemy of Christ. So when the lawless one comes, he will have his activity in the world. The lawless man will first come with peace, but it'll be, it'll be according to his own law. <clears throat> Look, the, the Antichrist is going to seek to be like Jesus in every way when he first comes. He will have a coming. He'll have a revealing, he'll work miracles, he'll have a message, and he will claim that he is the only one to be worshipped. Jesus also has all of those things. But as quickly as he brings peace, the son of destruction will seek to turn everything toward perdition. In verse 9, we're taught that the power of the Antichrist will come from Satan, who will give that man of sin the ability to powerfully perform false signs and wonders. People are going to be amazed by this guy. His super abilities to bring peace and unity in the world. But in a moment, it's all going to turn as he demands worship and then as the wrath of God is poured out for three and a half years. And with all wicked deception, he will destroy those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. We have to stop right there. Because right now, do not let that be said of you today. That you will perish because you refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Jesus Christ is wanting and willing to save you today. You've heard the truth. Hard truths, future truths, truths that you might be like, is this true? The Bible says it's true, so it's true, at least according to me. And I love this truth, and I love Jesus, and Jesus taught these things, so I believe them. Yeah, is Antichrist, tribulation, all this stuff. I mean, we're talking about things that haven't even occurred yet. But I'm speaking the things that Jesus has spoken and that his apostle Paul spoke. And so may God send a strong conviction of the Holy Spirit upon you today to believe this truth. Because today is the day of salvation. Because if you delay, the day of the Lord may come. And God will send a strong delusion upon gospel rejectors so that they may believe what is false. 
in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Again, don't let that be said of you. Do you love your sin more than you love Jesus and his truth? Is being your own God and making your own laws so great that you'll refuse to believe his truth and so be deceived? Because if you choose to find your pleasure in sin and unrighteousness, rather than finding your pleasure in God and his righteousness, you will be condemned. But today, Jesus condemns no one. Anyone who comes to Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus because he gives salvation to those who worship and love him. So anyone and everyone today, especially you today, if you've heard this truth, can come to Jesus who was judged for our sins at the cross even though he was innocent. And he did it so that he can save all who come to him by faith. And so today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Don't wait. Because we're not promised tomorrow. And the only reason why Jesus is waiting to come back again is because he, did not, he desires that no one would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth, would repent of their sins and have salvation in him. So don't wait and if today is the day of salvation, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, in just a moment, after I pray, I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone who wants to receive Jesus' free gift of eternal life today. And you'll be caught up together with Jesus in the air, and you will not face all of these things that we've talked about today, but be ready to make a decision by faith to come to Jesus, not out of fear, oh, I don't want to go through that, but out of love, because you love Jesus more than you love your sin. It's the most important decision that anyone can ever make in their life. And I know that many of you have come to Jesus. You've made this decision of faith. You've accepted this eternal life. I, I pray and I believe that you've been taught the word of God today, and I pray that the Holy Spirit has been your teacher, and I pray you would lean more into these things. I ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not be shaken in your mind or alarmed. Stand firm in these truths that you've been taught and teach them to others so that they too can know the truth and be saved. Verse 13 through 15, but we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by God, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by letter. How encouraging are those last words of Paul? He goes on from talking about some really gnarly things about the end times and, and the day of the Lord, but here he comes back and, and he just says, I love you guys, and Jesus loves you, and, and you've believed in Jesus, and, and because of that, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family, and I can say that to you guys today. I'm not the crazy guy up here talking about these things. You're like, this guy's crazy. No, I'm, I'm not the crazy guy up here talking about these. I wouldn't believe these things if I wasn't taught them in the Word of God. 
but I believe them and I hold fast to them and I stand firm in them and I want to teach them to you so that you can stand firm in Jesus because he saves people through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And we've heard the truth today. And the Spirit is at work today because the restrainer is not out of the way yet. The restrainer is in my heart. And this restrainer can come into your life and you can know Jesus and you can be known by him. And to this, he called you through the gospel. God calls people and is calling people to the gospel, the only true gospel that has been preached today. We believe this gospel. We put our full trust and weight upon it so that we can obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know these things because I've been telling you these things. Believe the gospel be continually reminded of its truths and its promises. And in verse 15, Paul says, so then, brothers, stand firm in them as you have been taught them, either by spoken word or by letter. We, we didn't hear Paul speak, but thankfully he wrote, and we have read his writings, and we have studied them today. We can know the truth of God. And in the last two verses, I want to leave us with, which is a final blessing, a benediction that Paul gave that I feel needs no explanation. Charles Spurgeon preached five different sermons on these last two verses, but I'm going to end on these last two verses. Verse 16 and verse 17. Let's all stand up together. I'm going to ask the worship team and the prayer team to come forward. Verse 16 and 17, this is the blessing that I speak over everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, who has believed his first coming and has hope for his second coming. This is the blessing that God speaks over you today. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen? Amen. We'll stay standing, and, and I want to give an invitation right now. And our prayer team's going to come forward, and, and as they come forward, here's the invitation. It's a free offer. You know, Jesus is going to come from heaven. He's going to come, come down. He's going he's to get up. He's going to come. And today, I'm going to ask people, well, you're already up. But now that you're up, I'm going to ask you to take a next step. I'm going to ask you to come. If you believe that Jesus is coming again, and you believe that boldly, then I believe that you can make a bold decision today, say that I want to be found with Jesus. I want to be gathered together with him. And if today you you came in shaking in your mind, you came in troubled in your heart, and you didn't believe these things, but now you've heard these things and they've brought comfort to you. They've brought assurance to you and you wanna, you wanna follow Jesus in this life. I'm gonna ask you to come forward. R right now. See, Jesus was so bold, bold enough to die on a cross for our sins. And he'll be bold enough to appear again so that with the breath of his mouth and his simple appearing, he will slay all of his enemies. You don't want to be an enemy of God, do you? 
you don't want to refuse the gospel, do you? So, so if you're being pulled, if you're being drawn, the Holy Spirit is working on you. His, his force is upon you right now to draw you to Jesus. You come forward and you come pray with us. Just get up right out of your seat, ask to scoot out of your aisle and come forward and we'll pray with you. And so let's worship. Let's, come on, guys. If for all of eternity, we're gonna be surrounding the throne of God with a myriad of myriads, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of voices worshiping Jesus. We could light this place up today, can't we? Let's sing this last song out, like really sing it out to the Lord. And if you need prayer, if you've been a believer who's been shaken or troubled in your mind, and today you want to have that comfort and that hope, you come forward and you pray too. But let's just come forward. Let's get on our faces before the Lord. Let's sing out to Jesus and really draw near to him. Amen? Amen. Let's close with this final song.